Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 1. The Bible says, but it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Well, they're, they're trying their best to just discourage the people of God. Look at what's happened to you. Look at where you are. Look at what's going on. Look at how things have been for a number of years now. And you feeble Jews, no more than what you are, you really think you're going to turn this around? You really think there's any positive hope for your future? How are you going to do it? You're far outnumbered. You're too small to matter. You're too insignificant to make a difference. Verse 3, now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. And he said... Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall break down their stone wall. Even a small little fox. These feeble Jews, what they're doing is such a waste of time and energy and effort that even something as small as a fox if the weight of that fox got against this wall, it wouldn't stand. They're not doing anything that's lasting. Don't expect these walls to be around for very long. Verse 4, Nehemiah then, rather than arguing with Sanballat and Tobiah, Rather than trying to defend himself and his people, Nehemiah did what needed to be done. He started praying. Verse 4, hear, O God, for we are despised. And turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. Oh, I feel this tonight. And cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. Now, now, now look, and I know you're standing. He said, God, you hear everything they're saying. And he didn't say they're making me mad. 
though they probably were. He certainly didn't say, you know, they're really discouraging me and this people right now. He just said, God, this is not my battle. I'm doing what you sent me here to do. I'm just trying to do what you called me to do. And you hear how they're trying to stop us. Now, God, I'm going to let you fight this one. Because if God's fighting, there's no way the enemy's going to win. Now, if Nehemiah fights, the enemy might win. And if these quote-unquote feeble Jews fight, the enemy might win. But if God be for us, yeah, if God be for us, yeah, I'm waiting for some more of you to jump on board. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God is fighting, we're going to win. Now listen, listen. It's not about whether God's on our side or their side. It's about whether we get on God's side. And if we'll get on God's side, then we win. So he just prayed his prayer in response to all their taunts, all their teasing, all their mocking, all their making fun. Nehemiah just prayed a prayer. And I want you to see what happened. Verse 6. So built we the wall. Take that, Sanballat. We didn't argue with you. We didn't fuss with you. We didn't try to claim, no, we're stronger than you say we are. We just got to work and started doing what we knew we needed to do, and we figured God would take care of the rest. So built we the wall. And you know what happened? And all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. They didn't stop us. They didn't, they didn't make us quit because God was fighting for us. We just kept working. Rather than fight, we just kept working. We kept doing what we knew God wanted us to do. And the next thing we knew, we're halfway done. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof. Why? For the people had a mind not to argue, not to fuss, not to fight. You want to know why the wall got built? Because the people had a mind to work. Oh, Hallelujah. And that's what I want to preach to you about for just a little while. Teach whatever. However all this comes out, I want to talk to you tonight about a mind to work. A mind to work. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you ask the Lord to speak to us tonight, everybody? We need the Holy Ghost to talk to our hearts tonight. Let's talk to him right now. 
to have your help tonight. I can't do this without you. I need you right now, and I surrender myself to the will of the Spirit. I pray, help me tonight. Help this people, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you praise him one more time before you're seated, everybody? Would you just take a moment and praise the Lord? Oh, let's just praise the Lord. Let's just praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Give him highest praise. Exalt, extol, lift up his name. Ah, yes. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated again. I, I ask of you tonight not to abandon ship just yet. Give me time, give me time to get this thing out of the harbor, and we'll set sail in a few moments. But I, 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 want, you to, I want you to know where I'm coming from tonight. I want you to understand that in this very familiar story, What's going on here is that there is a work that is being done. It's a work that needed to be done. It's a work that was essential. It had to happen. Something had to take place because the city of God, the city where God had put his name, had been destroyed. The people had been carried off to captivity where they had spent 70 years as slaves and captives in a foreign land. But the time came when God said, I want my people back where they belong. They've been away long enough. It's time to rebuild. It's time for, if you please, a revival. Well, hallelujah. It's time it's time for Judah to be revived. It's time for Israel to be rebuilt. It's time for the walls of Jerusalem to go back up, to be strengthened, to be put back in place. Now, this work wasn't just because somebody woke up one day and said, you know, it'd look a lot better if we'd put a few of those stones back together. It, it, it didn't just come together by chance. It didn't just come together because somebody thought it was a good idea. But this was a work that was born from a burden. Let's go to the book of Nehemiah. Keep your Bible open. This is the way we do things around here. We're teaching from the book of Nehemiah tonight. I'm going to be reading some other scriptures, but much of what I've got to say is going to come from Nehemiah. So why don't you open your Bibles there and follow along in the scripture. I want you to read for me, Brother Goff. Read Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, what, is, what is happening here is that Nehemiah, who is among the captives, has some friends come to visit him. Some relatives have come by to see Nehemiah in his time of captivity. And they brought some very disturbing news to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And they said unto me, 
The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. I sat down and wept and mourned certain and days. Mourned certain days and fasted and fasted and prayed and prayed before the God of before heaven before the God of heaven now this may not mean much to us in our 21st century minds but every city that was built was built in such a way that it was surrounded by walls that were intended to fortify it any city that did not have walls had no protection whatsoever. It could be overrun. It could be overthrown. It could be destroyed. It would be overtaken if not by enemy uh, armies. It could be overtaken by the beasts of the wild. Walls were there to protect the people. And so here come some relatives and friends of Nehemiah down to his place of captivity. And he wants to know, how are things back home? What's it like back in Jerusalem? What's it like back in the land of our nativity? And they said, we've got bad news for you, Nehemiah. The walls are torn down. The city is totally unprotected. Everything that you may remember about that place, everything you heard your father or grandfather tell you about this wonderful city of Jerusalem, it is no more. It is now a place where it is a land of destruction and what was there has been torn down and burned with fire. It's in bad shape. It doesn't look good. It's not at all what it once was. The glory that used to be there is no longer there. There's just a shell of what it used to be. There's only a handful compared to the previous population. It's a bad situation, Nehemiah. And the Bible says when Nehemiah heard that, he was disturbed. He sat down. He began to cry, but it went beyond just a few tears because he couldn't let go of it. The Bible says that he sat down and wept and he mourned certain days. I don't know how many days this went on, but I'm trying to convey to you that this was not just a matter of Nehemiah saying, you know, things could be better and I wish they were. It got a hold of his heart. And he said, I can't stand to hear this report. Something's got to change. And he mourned certain days. And then he began to fast. He said, God, I'm going to humble myself before you. In fact, you can read on down in the prayer that he prayed. And he's confessing, we as a people have sinned. We've made some terrible decisions. We've done some horrible things as a people. We've abandoned your law. We've walked away from your word. And God, forgive us, but something's got to happen. We've got to have some help. He fasted and he prayed to God. He had a burden that was driving him. And I want to tell you, he couldn't shake it. 
I don't know how many days he fasted. I don't know how many days he mourned. But you see, Nehemiah had a job. He was employed. In fact, he had a very significant job. He was the cupbearer to the king. Now, I don't know if I'd call it a good job. It was a significant job. It was a place to work. I didn't hear what he said. Working for the government's good. Working for the government's good. Spoken like a true government employee. Yeah, but I want to tell you, here was his job. His job was to taste whatever they prepared for the king to make sure nobody put any poison in it. And the only way you can know if they put poison in it is if you die. So that's why I say I'm not too sure that's a good job. Every day he was putting his own life at risk. And every day he was expected to be on the job. That government job wasn't like today's government jobs. They didn't get all these holidays. In fact, holidays were probably worse for these government employees because the parties really ran then. And once the people started partying, there was a lot bigger risk that the king is going to be put to death. Somebody's going to have a little bit too much to drink and get a little bit too confident and try something. And Nehemiah was the filter. But Nehemiah loved doing what he was doing. He really was honored to be serving the king even though it was a risk of his own life to do it. He loved doing it. And I know that because of what the Bible says. That the next time Nehemiah came before the king bearing this cup, something happened. Let's read chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. This is why I say he enjoyed what he was doing. The king had never seen Nehemiah sad at any time. He enjoyed serving the king. He was happy to be in the service of the king. Even though he was risking his life every moment by doing it. Oh, I would to God that today's Christianity could get that kind of attitude. I could get off subject real easy here. I'm trying not to because I'm going somewhere. But I'm going to tell you, I think it's a shame when people call themselves Christians and they walk around sad-faced and discouraged all the time. Always complaining about how bad life is and how terrible things are. Well, you just don't have a job like I've got. No, and you don't have a job like Nehemiah had. But he never got sad in the presence of the king. Now, I'm going to tell you, when we get in the presence of the king, there ought to be no sadness when we get here. He's not asking us to die. He just wants a living sacrifice. We ought to come before him with joy. We ought to come before him with thanksgiving. We ought to be happy when we walk into the presence of the king. I'm going to tell you, 
I understand. I've had my moments of sorrow. I've shed my tears. I've carried my burdens. But I'm going to tell you, when we walk through the doors of God's house, we ought to leave all of that on the outside and say, I'm going to stand before the king right now. I'm going to stand before the king, and I'm going to do it with joy. He's not going to see me frowning. He's not going to see me upset. He's not going to, I'm preaching to somebody here tonight. You may not like what I'm telling you, but I'm preaching to you tonight. Amen. I don't want the king to see me with a sad countenance in his presence. I want to come before him and let him know it's a joy to serve Jesus. He didn't have to save me. He didn't have to choose me. He didn't have to call me. I don't belong here. I'm not worthy. I wasn't brought up in a home of Christians. I'm telling you, God found me when I was nobody. I don't deserve to be where I am, and I don't want to walk into his presence and be sad. Now, I had not, he said, I had not been before time sad in his presence. This was the first time Nehemiah ever walked before the king with a sad face. But this time he couldn't help it. This time he had a burden. And let me tell you, this time the sad face was not because of Nehemiah's job. It wasn't because he feared for his life. The sad face was because the burden that Nehemiah probably didn't even realize at the moment, but God's the one that put that burden on Nehemiah. God was trying to stir Nehemiah up to make him discontent. He'd been happy all this time doing what he was doing. He'd been happy living in the palace. He'd been happy living there where, where everything's taken care of for him and he doesn't have to worry about his next meal. He'd been happy doing all that, but now he's not happy anymore. He's discontent, amen. But it was not a discontentment that was based on his own flesh. I'm here to submit to you. It was God that was dealing with Nehemiah's heart because there was a work that had to be done and God needed somebody to spearhead the effort. As long as you're content, Nehemiah, you're not going to leave the palace. As long as you're happy, Nehemiah, you're not going to strike out on your own. So I got to pull a few rugs out from under you and make you a little uncomfortable. I got to do a few things and take away a few things to finally get you to understand I got a job for you to do. Oh, my, 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 my. And so, when he walked into the king, different this time than what he had been. What's the next verse say? Wherefore the king said unto the me. king said to me. Why is thy countenance wait, sad? Wait, wait, wait. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. You've been doing this for a long time. I've never seen you frown. I've never seen you look worried. What, 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 what's going on? Why is your countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick. I, I can tell you're not sick. This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. I, I can tell that 
this sorrow is sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. And then Nehemiah started thinking, oh, I didn't mean to show the king this. I didn't intend for him to see this. Nehemiah wasn't putting on to try to get the king to feel sorry for him. But this burden was weighing him down so heavily that he couldn't cover it up, try though he may. This burden was driving him. I, I, I believe with all my heart, Brother Hilton, I believe that he'd had some really restless nights. I believe he had tossed and turned in his bed trying to figure out what, what, what's going to happen to the city I love, what's going to happen to the people I care about, what's going to take place how are we going to fix this dilemma? How are we going to solve this problem? And he didn't intend for the king to ever know how worried he was. But the king saw through everything. And the king asked Nehemiah, what's wrong? And Nehemiah was afraid. But he told the king what was happening. And the king said, what would you like to do about it? Now, I don't know. I, I, this is just conjecture, all right? But I really wonder, Brother Jerry, I, I, I really wonder if Nehemiah had even considered whether he needed to do anything about it. There's no indication of that leading up to these verses. But when the king asked him, what are, you, what are you requesting? It came out like the dam had burst. My city's in ruins. My people are unprotected. Somebody's got to go and rebuild those walls. Somebody's got to offer some protection. King said, how long do you want to be gone? I'll give you time off. I'll do whatever... He said, I I'm going to need more than that. I'm going to have to have some letters. They're not going to believe me when I get it. King said, whatever you ask. I'm, I'm trying to abbreviate some of this. You can read the story when you get home tonight if you want to. But, but the king said, I'll, I'll give you whatever you need, Nehemiah. Go and do what needs to be done. See, God was setting all this up. God knew that this work needed to be accomplished. And I'm telling you, this burden had weighed so heavy on Nehemiah's heart that it became more important to him than even his job. In fact, this kind of distraction could easily have cost him his life. But even his life didn't matter at this point. He was so driven by this burden for the work of God. Oh, there's another thing I'd sure like to see happen to the people of God in this day and age. I'd like to see people actually start living what Matthew 6 and 33 says. But seek ye first seek the kingdom ye of first, God. Seek ye first, 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 the kingdom of God his and his righteousness. And all these and things, all these things shall, be added, shall be added unto you. I'm telling you, that ought to be a Christian mindset. That ought to be the thing that drives us. God, your work, your kingdom matters more to me than anything else. It's more important than my comfort. It's more important than my entertainment. It's more important than my job. It's more important than anything. Yes, 
Oh, I feel like preaching tonight. I don't know how we, how we interpret this verse in our minds. But there's really no way to interpret it except to take it at face value. And God tells us, this is a command from Jesus himself, that the first thing, the first thing, everybody understand what first means? There's nothing else before that. The first thing that we're looking for, Brother Goff, is the kingdom of God. That's more important than anything else. Oh, I hope you're hearing me tonight. That's first. I'm not worried about what somebody else is going to say about me. I'm not worried about what somebody else is going to think about me. I'm worried about the kingdom of God. I'm not worried about what they're going to do to me on the job. I'm worried about the kingdom of God. I'm not worried about my family rejecting me. I'm worried about the kingdom of God. Well, seek ye. Seek ye. And, and in, in case you didn't notice, can you put that verse back up there for me? Matthew 6, put that back up there for me if you don't mind. In case you didn't notice, normally when we say first, usually it's followed by second. It's Matthew 6 and 33. But, but I, want you to, I want you to see this. I want you to notice that when you read this verse of Scripture, seek ye first. Now, where does the word second appear? It's not there. He didn't say seek first the kingdom and second seek these things. He said you just seek the kingdom and everything else will come. You don't have to seek a second. You don't have to look for anything else. If you'll really seek the kingdom of God first, God said I'll take care of everything else that you need. I'll supply every need you've got. I'll take care of everything in your life if you'll just seek the kingdom of God. That's all I want is for you to seek the kingdom of God. Put the kingdom of God first. Not your goals, not your ambitions. I'm not trying to be mean and ugly tonight. I'm trying to preach to a group of Christians. I'm, I'm trying to help people understand that Christianity is not, I've said it before, the cross you wear around your neck. It's the cross you put on your back. Well, that didn't go over too well. But Jesus said, unless you take up your cross every day and follow me, you're, you're really not my disciple. And there's nothing convenient and there's nothing comfortable about a cross. He expects us to seek his kingdom above everything else. And that's what happened to Nehemiah. He got under such a burden. He got under such a burden. And let me say to you, saints of God, tonight, 
This is the way it's going to happen, is that you've got to pray for God to give you a burden for the kingdom of God. You've got to ask God to put a burden on your heart for the work of God. Lord, let me get the kind of burden Nehemiah had, not a burden that's with me until I get out of church service, but a burden that if it means I can't sleep at night, then so be it. If it means I'm having a hard time focusing when I'm around everybody, else then so be it but God put a burden on my heart let me be consumed with the work of God you want to know why I got to be careful here tonight you want to know why our nation has gone so crazy it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in one election. And I'm going to tell you, there are forces that have been at work, and I'm not talking conspiracies here. I'm just telling you, there are forces that have been at work for decades, but they refuse to give up. And they might lose a few elections, but they're not giving up. They're pursuing one thing, and they're going to keep pushing it and keep pushing it, and keep pushing it. I was reading an article today, and they were talking about a president from many years ago, and they said there were rumors that he had homosexuals that were working for him. And they said if it ever got out, it would have destroyed him politically, just the idea that those men worked for him. But today, it's, it's, it's a badge of honor what a change in society. It didn't happen overnight. But I'm going to tell you, the forces of evil have been pushing that agenda, pushing that agenda, little by little, little by little. And all the while, the church has set back, and we've just twiddled our thumbs. I'm just being honest with you tonight. And I'm not talking about getting involved politically. I'm telling you, we got to go to war spiritually. Somehow we've got to be concerned about pushing God's agenda, just like the, the evil ones are about pushing their wicked agendas. We've got to get consumed with an attitude and an idea of putting the kingdom of God first. Oh, this is a challenge tonight. I'm issuing a challenge tonight, and I know it. And I know some don't want to be challenged. There are those who don't like to be challenged. Let me live in my comfort zone. Let me live where things can just continue to rock on as they are. But I'm going to tell you, there are things coming down the pike. You hear me, church. I don't claim to be a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but you hear what I'm telling you tonight in the Holy Ghost. There are things coming down the pike that are going to blow our minds. There is a wickedness and an evil that is rising up in our midst. And if the church doesn't go to war spiritually, I'm not talking about the ballot box. I'm talking about the altar. I'm talking about prayer and fasting. I'm talking about outreach. I'm talking about doing the work of God and a Accomplishing the will of God if we don't get to work. We're going to lose the war. Oh, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. My time is slipping away. I'm not near where I want to be. 
Hallelujah. Now, once he was authorized to go back to Jerusalem and to begin that rebuilding process, I find it interesting, Nehemiah's report of how things went and what was going on. Let's, let's look now, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 to 18. Now follow with me. We just, in verses 1 and 2, he's, he's come before the king, and then you read on down beyond that, and the king gives him authority to go. So he's just now going back to start this work of rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. And, and so here is his initial report, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. He's, he's imploring others. He is, he is beseeching others. He is encouraging others. Come and help me. We've got a job to do. We've got a work that's got to be done. I can't do this by myself. I can't get it accomplished single-handedly. I've got to have some people who believe in what's going on. I've got to have some people who see this vision and understand this burden that's on my heart. We, we've got to do something so Jerusalem is no longer lying in waste and the gates are no longer burned with fire. We've got to build up the walls so we can get rid of the reproach that's on us. Read. Then I told them of the hand of I my God. I told them of the hand of my God. Which was good which upon was me. Which was good upon me. As also the, as king's, also word, the king's word. That he had spoken, that unto, me. spoken to me. And they and said. they said. Let us rise up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get to work. Let's rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this so good work. So they strengthened their hand for this. For this what? Now that's the way Nehemiah is writing about it. They strengthened their hand because they realized along with me, this is not just some fantasy. This is not just some pipe dream. This is a good work. This deserves to be done. This needs to be done. It's a good work. Now that's chapter 2. And, and you read that they strengthened their hands. They got to work. Now let's get down to chapter 6. We read our text was chapter 4. They had half the wall built at chapter 4. We're beyond that point now. So here we are now in chapter 6. And we're going to read another report from Nehemiah. As this work is coming to a conclusion here, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. That Sambalat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, Come. let us meet together, let's meet together in some of the villages in the plain of Ono. Let's, let's meet together in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. But they thought to do me mischief. And I sent messengers and unto I them. I sent messengers to them. Saying, I am doing a great work. And I'm doing, wait a minute, I just noticed a significance there. No, I didn't just notice it. I hope you just noticed it. But I was trying to point it out to you. In chapter 2, he said, it's a good work. 
but now they've been at it for a while. And listen, they've faced a lot of opposition. They've listened to a lot of ridicule. They've had a lot of people try to stop them and stand in their way. But at the end of the day, Nehemiah looked back on it, and he said, it's not just a good work. I'm doing a great work. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why would the work cease? Why should the work cease Wallace, while I leave, I leave it and, and come, come down, down to, you. to you? Oh, no, I'm not coming to oh, no. Hallelujah. Oh, no, I'm not coming to oh, no. I've got a great work to accomplish. I've got a great work that's going on. There's something great taking place. And it doesn't need to stop now. We're too close to finishing. We're too close to seeing the end result. We're too close to our dreams becoming a reality. Oh, no. I'm not going to get distracted now. Oh, no. I'm not going to stop now. Oh, no. I'm not going to quit now. This is a great work. And again, it didn't become a great work because Nehemiah dreamed it all up and Nehemiah was out there doing it. Read read that verse again from chapter 2, verse 18. Is that right? Read read verse 18 for me. Then I told them of the hand of my God, God, which was good upon upon me, as also the king's king's words words that he had spoken unto me. me. And they said, and they said, and they said, and they said, let us rise up and And build. You don't have to do this alone, Nehemiah. You don't have to try to fulfill this dream alone. You don't have to try to complete this vision alone. Let us rise up and build so, so they, strengthened they hands strengthened their hands for this, for good, this work. good work they made up in their minds we're here to do this job we're not here as spectators we're not here to just sit in the crowd we're not here just so that we can be a part of a number we're not here so somebody will play patty cake with us and burp us once in a while and bring us a baby bottle once in a while we're ready to go to work we're ready to get started we're gonna strengthen our hands and so and so they strengthened their hands and they went to work in chapter 4 we read in our text chapter 4 and verse number 6 here's what is said so built we so the wall. Built we the wall. And all the and wall all was joined together. The wall was joined together. Unto the half thereof. Unto the half thereof. For Why? The people. Why? 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 For, For the, the people, people had a mind to had work. A mind to work. Nehemiah is not claiming credit for this. Nehemiah came with a vision. Nehemiah cast a vision. But the only reason the vision was accomplished was not because Nehemiah did it, but because the people had a mind to work. The people said, we see it. We buy into it. We accept it. And now we're going to get to work doing it. <laughs> 
Oh, give me a few minutes. Give me a few minutes here. The people had a mind to work. Let me read this from a few other translations. Here tonight, the Amplified Bible says the people had a heart and mind to work. The Jubilee Bible says the people were motivated to work. The Bible in basic English says for the people were working hard. The International Standard Version says the people were committed to working. The Dewey Reims Bible says the heart of the people was excited to work. The easy to read version and the New International Version both put it this way. The people worked with all their heart. I want to tell you why it got done. Because some people got excited about it because some people saw a vision because some people bought into it because some people put in some e uh, sweat equity because some people amen felt like we've got to do this Nehemiah you've cast the vision but it's our turn they had a mind to work Now, stay with me. Stay with me just a few more minutes, and I'm going to have to cut out a lot of this tonight just because I'm not going to do two parts. I'm going to get it done tonight. And if that means cutting scriptures out, I'll just have to cut them out. Uh, if anybody wants my notes, I, I'll give them to you. You can read the other verses too. But let me, let me just tell you, we, we have no question in our mind when we have needs who or to whom, I should say, we can present those needs and who will meet those needs. We still believe he's Jehovah Jireh, don't we? Don't we believe he is Jehovah Jireh? He is the Lord who provides. Amen. Philippians 4.19 says this. But my God, my God shall supply, shall all, supply your all your need. According to his According riches. To his riches in glory, in glory by, Christ, by Jesus. Christ Jesus. Whatever we need. Whatever we need, we know we can ask God, and God will step in and meet our needs. Can I get a witness tonight? We know that if his people need something, God will give us what we need. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought that maybe God had some needs? I'm going to show you that he does. Let me give you just one example here tonight. Luke 19, verse 31. Listen to this. If any man asks you, ask you, why do you, why do ye loose him? Why are you loosing him? Thus shall you say This is what him, you need to tell him. Because, because the, Lord the Lord hath, need, hath of him. need of him. Now this is that young donkey's colt. He's about to make that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And he said, I've got a need. I could just walk into Jerusalem, but I've got a need. I need a donkey's coat. Lord, why do you need a donkey's coat? And I, I could, you could read through Luke 19. We won't read the whole passage, but, but this is what it's talking about. I want to tell you why he needed a donkey's coat. Because hundreds of years before he walked this earth, the prophet Zechariah in chapter 9 and verse 9 said this. Rejoice greatly, Rejoice greatly O, daughter of Zion. o daughter of Zion. Shout, 
O daughter of Shout, Jerusalem. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, Behold thy king cometh your unto king thee. is coming to you. He is just. He is just. Having salvation. Having salvation. Lowly. Lowly. Riding upon, riding upon an ass. And upon a coat and upon a coat the foal of an ass. I'm telling you, there'd been a prophecy, brother self, that was hundreds of years old that said when he came through, he's got to be riding on a donkey. Well, Jesus didn't own any donkeys. He needed one. He had need of one. And I'm telling you, he sent his disciples into town. He said, I've got a need. Somebody's got to meet my need. I'm not going to create one out of thin air. Oh, I feel like preaching. I'm not going to create a donkey out of thin air. I did that back in Genesis 1. But now I need somebody to understand if prophecy is going to be fulfilled. Somebody's got to go to work. Somebody's got to get in their shoe leather and walk down there and get me that donkey. Now, now, now maybe, maybe you're not getting this. Maybe you're not quite understanding what I'm trying to tell you. But do you understand if he had not ridden that donkey, it would have made the prophet Zechariah a liar. And if you can find one verse in the Bible that's not true, then you can't trust any of the Bible. Do you understand that all, all of God's integrity was on the line over whether or not somebody would go get a donkey. Oh, let this sink in tonight. All of God's trustworthiness was hinging on whether or not somebody would just go get a donkey. Because if they don't, then we can't trust God anymore. God doesn't know what he's talking about. God doesn't tell the truth. But somebody had to get out there and get that insignificant animal. Because all of the word of God was depending on this fulfillment. Somebody had to have a mind to work. Jesus knew they're going to question you when you go down there and try to do this. They're going to wonder what in the world you're doing taking their donkey. That's not yours. But you just tell them, I'm just busy meeting the Lord's needs. I'm just busy meeting the Lord's needs. That's what I'm doing. And you know they ask, and when the disciples answered, the Lord has need of it. There was never another question. Everything was fine. Amen. I'm here to tell you tonight, God is looking down on this congregation with some needs. And he's waiting on some people to put some things into action. Oh, I feel like preaching. Peter, Peter got locked up in prison. I don't have time to read all this. You can read it. If you want to take notes, you can write it down, Acts chapter 12. Make sure I'm telling you the truth. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. You can read the story for yourself. Peter gets locked up in prison, and they've already killed James. And now the next thing is they got their sights set on Peter, and they're going to kill him. They fully intended to do it. Now, Peter wasn't worried about it. The Bible said he was asleep. 
Doesn't sound to me like he's too worried. He's over there sleeping. But you know, while he's asleep, something happened. While he was asleep, an angel came. And the Bible says that Peter was chained. There were keepers of the door watching over the prison. But the angel, let's... I'm going to have to read some of it. I'm sorry. I've got to read some of it. Start in verse 6, chapter 12, verse 6. And when, and when Herod would have brought them forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two sleeping soldiers. Sleeping between two soldiers. Bound with two chains. Bound with chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. Right. And behold, the angel of the Lord came unto him, uh -huh. upon him, and a light shined, a light in, the shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side. The angel smote Peter on the side. And raised him up, raised saying, him up. Arise up quickly. Said, Get up. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel and the said angel unto him, said, Gird thyself. Get out of your PJs, boy. Get dressed. We're going to town. Read. And bind thy sandals. And so he did. Get your shoes on. And so Peter did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee, and uh -huh. follow me. Follow me. And he went out and followed him, and, he and wist not that it was he true. He didn't even realize it was really happening. He thought he was having a vision. Which was done by the angels, and he thought he saw a vision. Uh -huh, read. When they were but past when they the came first, past the first and the second, and the second war, war, they came into they the came iron, to an gate iron gate that leadeth unto the city. To the city. Which opened and to that them. gate opened. Of his own accord. Of his own accord. And they went out. And they went out. And passed on and through passed one on. street. And forthwith the angel departed from him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, now I just, I had to read it because if, if you'd let me take just a moment and kind of interview the major players in this story. If, if Peter's going to be set free, if he's ultimately going to be able to walk to the house of Rhoda, He's going to eventually be able to get to the house of uh, Mary. If, if he's going to get there, he's going to be free. There's some things that had to happen before he could be free because right now he's bound with chains between soldiers. And soldiers are watching the gates and the gates locked. The last thing that happened is that he walked through that iron gate. So let's start there and let me ask the iron gate, why? What are you waiting on? You're closed. What are you, what are you waiting on? Why don't you just go ahead and open now? I believe the iron gate would answer, well, I'm, I've been told I need to wait for the chains to fall off. No reason for me to open until those chains are off his hands and feet. So let's go talk to the chains tonight. Chains, what is it you're waiting on? Why don't you let this man of God go? Well, see, I've been told I can't let go till the light shines. All right. So light, what is it you're waiting on? Well, I'm waiting on the angel to get here. Angel, why are you taking so long? Oh, that's a good question. I've been waiting for the church to have a prayer meeting. I'm waiting on a church to have a prayer meeting. But when the church prayed, the angel showed up 
And when the angel showed up, the light shone. And when the light shone, the chains fell off. And when the chains fell off, the gates opened. Are you hearing me tonight? I'm telling you, there was a list of events. Amen. Had the church not prayed, the angel would not have appeared. If the angel had not appeared, the light would not have shone. If the light had not shone, the chains would not have come off. If the chains had not come off, the gate would not have opened. And if the gate would not have opened, Peter would have never been released. I am telling you tonight, amen, everything hinged on a people having a mind to work. We got to do something about it. We've already lost one. We've lost one apostle. We can't lose another one. Woo! I'm trying, I'm trying, I know, I know, I'm trying, I promise I am, I promise I am. I'm here to tell you tonight, we stand here with exceeding great and precious promises that have been made to this church. Men of God who for years have graced this assembly and spoken to us prophetically talked to us with the voice of the Holy Ghost and even in recent times God has confirmed again and again we are on the verge in spite of all the things I said are about to happen that are negative I'm going to tell you where, great, where sin did abound grace did much more abound And so, yes, things are going to get bad, but listen to me, saints of God, things are about to get better for us than they have ever been before. There is a revival that God wants to use to shake this nation and the entire world. He did it in 1905 at Azusa Street, but he wants to do it again. Are you hearing me tonight? God wants to do it again, and we have the opportunity. We have the potential for God to look down. You say, who's this? There's mega churches. There's a lot bigger congregations, I understand. And I'm not throwing stones at any of them. I'm just telling you, it was those feeble Jews who suddenly got a a mind to work that rebuilt Jerusalem. That's who did it. It was just a handful of people that decided, we've got a leader with a vision, and we're going to get to work. I wish I had time tonight. I don't. I wish I had time to read to you from Luke 14. Story of the man who made a great supper. And they began to invite people to come and eat. I think most of you know the story. The Bible says with one consent they began to make excuse. They had all kinds of reasons why they couldn't come to the house of the master. All their excuses. The master was not satisfied. And the servant came and said, Master, I tried. I just can't get anybody to come. The master didn't say, oh, well, we'll just all eat twice as much, and we'll have a good time and go home. That's not what he did. You know what he did? This is the Riggin' Revised Version. 
He said, you get back out there. We're not done yet. Those who didn't want to come, that's on them. But I'm telling you, there are people out there that are hungry. I know it's quitting time. Can you give me a few minutes, church? The master didn't say, well, let's just try another time. We'll throw another party on another day. Maybe we'll have a better crowd then. Uh Uh-uh. He said, you get back out there. And you try again. He said, you go quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and you bring the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And you know what happened? The servant did what he was told and he came back. He said, all right, Lord, I I did. So can we eat now? And you know what the master said? Riggin revised version. Get out there and do it again. If you don't think I'm telling you the truth, you can read it in Luke chapter 14. Amen. Just can, can you read for me verse 22? And the, and the servant said, The servant Lord, said, Lord, it is done it's as done thou as hast you commanded, commanded, and yet, there and is yet room. there's still room. Read. And the Lord, and the said, Lord to the said to the servant, Go out into the highways and, into the highways and the hedges and compel, and them, compel to them to come in, that my house, that my may, house be may be filled. I'm not satisfied. I know you've brought some folks. I know you've seen a little bit, but we're not done yet. We're not finished yet. It's not quitting time yet, boys. You get out there and get to work again. Somebody's got to have a mind to work. All right, all right, all right. I know, I know. My time's up. My time's up. Musicians, come. So let me say a few things here since this is my first in closing. I'll just make it as long as I need to make it. Now, don't get too worried. I'm not going to take a long time. But let me tell you, church, as I've already mentioned, God has made us some very phenomenal promises. He has spoken very clearly about His idea for the future of this assembly. He hasn't left it to our imagination. God has spoken clearly. So why then, if God has given us an open door, why is the house not full tonight? You see, when the Lord had need of a donkey, he didn't create it out of thin air. He sent somebody to get it. When the Lord had need of participants at his banquet, he didn't just start creating people out of thin air. He sent somebody out to get them. The only way it was going to be done, the only way the walls of Jerusalem were going to be rebuilt is if the people had a mind to work. I believe in prayer. I believe in fasting. I believe in all of that. But if you think that we're just going to pray this house full and not do anything else, 
as a relative of mine used to say, you got another thing coming. It's not going to happen that way. But the only way it's going to get done is when the people have a mind to work. We've got to buy into this vision. We're going to have to make some commitments. We're going to have to get busy. We're going to have to get out of our comfort zones. We're going to have to do something. This is not rebuke. This is encouragement, and this is reality tonight. I'm talking about I feel so strongly that we are standing at the verge of seeing it all come to pass, but God's waiting on one thing to take place. Now, now I've been asking and asking and asking. If you have not listened to the State of the Vision declaration that you do it before tonight. I hope you did. I hope you did. I know that particular week there was a lot of folks gone. There was a lot. There weren't that many in attendance for that meeting. Some listened online. I don't know who else may have come back and listened. I hope you have. If you haven't. Contact me or one of these men and we'll get you a link to it so you can listen. You need to hear it. But I'll tell you that at the beginning of the year, I did my best to make a declaration for this assembly of what I felt like God wanted us to set as goals. And I shared that with the church. And our first goal is not that far away. Our first goal was to be reached by June 30th. That's just a month away. We start into June tomorrow. We got 30 days ahead of us to hit that first goal. Now I'm telling you there's walls that have got to be rebuilt. There's a city that's got to be tended to. And I'm telling you the only way it's going to happen is if the people have a mind to work. It's going to mean some inconvenience. It's going to mean some sacrifice. But if we really want it to happen, I'm more convinced than I've ever been that it's just a stone's throw away. I believe we're close. In fact, our first goal, our first goal involved our attendance. We wanted to see 75 on average in our midweek. Well, lo and behold, if we didn't have a lot of folks that the job situations changed. They had to start working nights and working through the week. And even tonight, we've got some that are having to work. And this is life. It's life. And I don't condemn anybody. But I am saying I felt that we might need to just readjust the goal. And instead of setting it for the midweek service, let's just set it for our Sunday night service. Now, what that means is that we need to be averaging 75 in our Sunday night service by the end of June. Can we do it? Well, let me just tell you, it hasn't been, but a little over a month ago, we had 76 in service. 
We're not that far away, saints of God. But do you know how Sanballat and Tobiah are going to use it if we don't hit that goal? Do you know what that's going to do? But I'm going to tell you, I'm just praying. And I'm believing God. But I'm also calling upon everyone connected to this church to catch this vision and to help us accomplish this goal. There is so It's not just about numbers. Hear me. It's not about numbers. But I felt led in the Holy Ghost that that would be an indicator for us. Because every number represents a soul. And I don't ever want to lose sight of that. I don't ever want people to become a number. I want us to always remember this is souls we're dealing with. But I'm going to tell you, we're not that far away. We are within striking distance. But what I need right now, I need all hands on deck. I need everybody to catch this vision and to make up their mind. Pastor, I'm with you. I'm going to do my best. I'm picking up my trowel. You show me where the stones need to be put. We're going to put them together. We're going to start doing everything we can to make this a reality. By the end of this coming month, we're going to hit that goal. Is anybody with me tonight? Now listen to me. Listen to me. I am calling tonight for 30 days of consecration and commitment. 30 days of consecration and commitment. 30 days of sacrifice, 30 days of hard work. And I know, I know it's June, I know it's vacation time. Boy, it got quiet then. I know, but it seemed like I heard a preacher say something not too long ago about seeking first the kingdom of God. If I could just remember who that was. Oh. Everybody was behind me then when I said it. I know, I know, and I know even for us, we've got grandkids graduating later in the month. We're trying to figure out what in the world we're going to do so that we don't have to miss a service, but we can show them that we love them. They're 16 hours away. We'll do something. We'll figure out something. But I'm going to tell you, I am committed to seeing this goal brought to pass. I'm asking that for the next 30 days, we'll go back to making a commitment that we're going to fast at least one day a week. If it's just a partial day, and you know how I've said, I've, I've said in the past, do what you can. I know there are medical situations, there are physical situations, I understand I'm the same way. I've got certain medications I take. If I don't eat when I take it, it's a, it's a bad deal. But, but let me just say to you, just do what you can do. Make the sacrifice you can make. If it's just a meal or two meals, do what you can. But for the next 30 days, would you do it at least once a week? For the next 30 days, would you commit to reading your Bible on a regular basis? 
Now, I'm going to ask you to read at least one chapter in your Bible a day. That's not much. I'd, I'd like to see you doing a whole lot more than that. In fact, for those that would like a better plan than that, do you know that if you'll read five Psalms and one chapter in Proverbs every day, you'll finish Psalms and Proverbs in one month? Now, there's only 30 days in June, so you're going to have to read two chapters of Proverbs one day. But if you'll do one chapter of Proverbs every day, two on one day, and you'll read five Psalms, five Psalms a day, in 30 days you'll finish all of Psalms and Proverbs. It's not that big of a commitment. And some of these Psalms are so short, you, you want to kind of get some ahead because when you hit 119, it's hard to read that one in four more. That's a long one in case you don't know. But that's a better plan than just one chapter a day. And, but the best plan is to get one of those Bible reading charts and, and start following that and read the entire Bible through. So I'm asking you to make a commitment to fasting. I'm asking you to make a commitment to Bible reading. I'm asking you to make a commitment to prayer over the next 30 days. That you'll do your best. And again, I'm not asking much. 15 minutes is not much. Surely we can give the Lord 15 minutes of our day. I'd much rather it be 30. I'd really rather it be an hour. Jesus said, can you not watch with me for one hour? I'd really rather it be an hour, but I'm going to tell you, if you'll just pray 15 minutes a day, you'll, you'll be surprised before long 15 minutes is not enough time to get it done. But if you'll just make it, com make it consistent and be committed, fasting, Bible reading, prayer, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to do everything you can to bring at least one guest on a Sunday night. The better plan is to bring one guest every Sunday night. The best plan is to bring more than one every Sunday night. But I'm asking for that kind of commitment. We've got a job to do. It's a good work. No, it's a great work. Because it's not about us. It's really not. It's not about building a kingdom for me. It's about building God's kingdom. Because everything we do, you know, saints, it goes beyond these four walls. We're invested in Africa. We're invested in, in, in other countries. We are invested in other cities around this metropolitan area. It's not just about this church, this one assembly. And I'm asking you to make this commitment that you're going to bring a guest on Sunday night in June. And I'm asking for one more commitment out of you. And that is to do the very best that you can to be faithful every Sunday night. We can't hit these goals if you're not here. And I know, I know, I know, I know we all have plans. All I'm asking is one month. I'm asking for one month. Adjust your schedule. Do what you can do. If you can't, you can't. If you get sick, I understand. If you have to work, I understand. If there's no way around it, I promise you, I'm not a slave driver. I'm not a hard taskmaster. I really do understand. I'm just asking, not that you commit that it will happen absolutely, but you commit you're going to do your best. That you'll adjust your schedule however necessary to try to be here every Sunday night you can be here during the month of June. And let's hit this goal. And I'm telling you, church, if we'll hit this one, 
It'll be six months before our next one. The next one is 150. We'll do it. That one after that comes the first, uh, or, or April the 1st of, of 2023, and the goal at that point is 300. And we can do it because God wants us to do it. Because I didn't just come up with numbers, but I prayed. I'm telling you, God wants us to do it. God's going to help us. God's going to fight for us. But we've got to be willing. We've got to have a mind to work. Let's everybody stand. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. I'm asking you tonight, if you're willing to make a commitment, and all I'm asking is your best. I'm not, if you falter, if you mess up, if you don't keep it, nobody's going to beat you over the head. Nobody's going to, you're just saying, God, if I can, let me do what I can. Help me to really make it. A priority and if you're willing to make that kind of commitment I'm calling you down around the front tonight